Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about getting your head on war footing, Americans in Kabul, HR4 mandating permanent election fraud, and Harvard's atheist head chaplain. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm obviously back in my studio. I so enjoyed a little time away doing my show from California for three weeks, took an entire week off which is the longest I've taken off, and I can't tell you how long, and pretty much just enjoyed uh, my husband, family, friends in California, had a great time, but so glad to be back at this wonderful studio. I also want to say again, a great thanks to Real News PR and the Real News Communications Network for this lovely studio, for working with me, to have the show work while I'm not here, um, and for all the great things they do to make every show just flow smoothly every single time. I called this first five, I gave it a title, and this getting your head on war footing. And I want to just remind you of something for a moment. First, I'll tell you the two books I'm reading at the same time. Usually a bad idea, you should pick one at a time, but I'm looking at two of them. One is this book called Irresistible Revolution, and it is by Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. The uh, subtitle is Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. This is what it looks like as a great thing. Number one, he's going to be speaking at the conference I'm hosting in Dallas on September 18th. Number two, he's joining us I think Thursday, September 16th, in studio beforehand. It's a great book trying to lay out for people to help the average American understand how much the very idea of Marxism has invaded America, including the military. At the same time, I'm looking at a fabulous book, Mark Levin's book, American Marxism. And, you know, I will tell you, Matthew Lohmeyer writes in a very friendly, uh, if you didn't happen to particularly um, inspired reader. You know, if you don't read very often, his is still very readable. Uh, Mark Levin is just brilliant. His book is also brilliant, written in a little different tone. Cannot encourage you to read them both. And then my other preliminary point I want to make is that I want to, to inspire you, to encourage you to think back what things were like in January 2017. And the gist of it is that in January, um, January of 2017, President Trump was in his first month of office. We had in 20, at the 2016 elections, we had Republican presidency, Republican House majority, Republican Senate majority. And I want to draw your attention to that time period to make the really profound political point. I want everyone to keep on grasping more and more, which I've been pounding on the last month, which is that we are currently in America in a war about the heart, the soul, the identity of America. Going back to when President Trump became president in 2017, even though we had a Republican majority in the House, a Republican majority in the Senate, the American people had overwhelmingly voted for President Trump, who ran on him on one of his seminal issues, was securing the southern border, and, and very specifically talked about building a wall. He could not move that agenda item forward in a Congress where the majority were the same party he was. 
He could not move that agenda of getting the wall built. Most of what he accomplished in his first term was because he had the clarity, the strength, the determination to push and move forward the agenda he ran on and that he promised the American people. He said, we're going to secure the southern border. So he had to do that really with his own pushing and shoving. There were a few people in the House and a few in the Senate who tried to help President Trump. But that first two years of his of President Trump's presidency with Republican majority House and Senate, he could barely move his agenda forward. Barely. He had to do it himself, even though he'd run on the idea that we better be careful in vetting is um, people coming to America uh, on visas uh, who are coming here from Islamic majority countries that have a serious problem with terrorism. He had to do most of what he did and most of what he accomplished by executive order. And the reason that is, is number one, Republicans in the House were far too timid, far too... Um, just, you know, very comfortable with the status quo. The, the best explanation is comfortable with the status quo, not really liking that somebody was, had arrived in Washington to rock the boat. Very, very, these are, I'm talking about the Republicans now, very, very determined not to rock the boat too much, not to get in the crosshairs of left-wing media, not to become someone who's going to be attacked by the media. Their preference, the Republican majority in the House and Senate was to kind of wait it out, let Trump flail in the wind with false accusations about a collusion with Russia, false accusations leading to impeachment, very, very few defenders in the House and the Senate. And I'm getting at the point, Republicans did not fight. They had the chance. They had the chance to do the agenda the American people overwhelmingly voted for in the 2016 elections. They had their strength, their power in place, and they would not do one darn thing. Wouldn't defend the president, wouldn't stop, would, just wouldn't stop anything, wouldn't stand up, and allowed him to be pummeled by the media by lies and accusations, very few of them standing up for him. So there is the element of that which is that the Republicans simply wanted to avoid the uh, clobbering by the media that always flows when anyone dares to speak up strongly against the, the mainstream media's agenda, which is the Democrat Marxist majority uh, uh, agenda in America. Not that they have the majority, the Marxists have the majority of the Democrat party. The media attacks people who won't go along with the party line and too many Republicans said, I don't wanna do that. But there's another reason Republicans didn't fight very hard during the first two years of the Trump presidency. And that's because Republicans are trying. The party overall is trying to hold on to what America is. They believe in the idea of America. They believe in the idea overall, overall not every single person, every issue, but they believe in the idea of a, a Republican, uh, democratically elected government under a republic, a republic with guided by the guardrails of the Constitution. That's what Republicans believe in. So they're just going along saying, hey, we're not trying to change anything. We're just trying to protect what America is. Contrast the failure of the Republicans to even do something as simple as to undo socialized medicine. They could not move over, over either repealing Obamacare or even really massively rehauling it. They could not move. They were frozen in their tracks, would not fight, would not stand up. And so we had a very feeble performance by the Republicans when they had the majority in 2017, House and Senate, and Trump as a president. Contrast that to where we are now. Look where we are now. We're in eight plus months of the 
Biden administration, and again, Biden's not running the country, uh, whether it's a cabal, I guess, of Obama and probably Hillary somewhere in the mix and George Soros and Valerie Jarrett, a few of those types. But the point is the Biden administration with a extremely tiny slim majority in the House and a 50-50 Senate, not even a solid majority in the Senate. They only have the majority if they get to have to go to the, the, uh, the tiebreaker vote by the vice presidents. They barely have majority. And the Democrats are steamrolling America on issue after issue after issue. And they're steamrolling America toward Marxism. They don't say those words because even they recognize most Americans would say, hey, wait a minute, you know, I, I, I kind of like some, you know, a bigger government, but I don't really want Marxism. But these are what these books are helping. They will help you understand, they'll help your friends understand that what we're watching is the absolute steamrolling over America as founded by the Democrat Party that now holds the power, White House, Senate, and House, and they are steamrolling America on issue after issue after issue. Whether it's the border that they've abandoned, a clear globalist, socialist, Marxist agenda to abandon nation states and just have one big happy global family run by a socialist cabal. The Democrats are, they're not acknowledging they're doing it. They're just doing it. They're just abandoning the border. And so it goes. We no longer have a southern border. And the media, the left-wing media, only occasionally says, hey, things don't look really so right down here at the border. But you have the uh, border issue. You have voting laws. I'm going to do another segment on that a little bit later in the show. Voting laws. Absolute takeover. When the Democrats get power, when they get a majority, they seize power. And it's always and only designed to push the Marxist agenda and to push and grow their own power, to solidify it, to make it impossible to get them out of power. A lot like dictators are and other tyrannical leaders who, when they get in power, their first goal is do whatever they can to make sure they stay in power for as long as they want, which is forever. So you have the Democrats steam destroying the border, and everybody knows it. You have them voting laws. And I tell you the latest thing, H.R. 4, you thought H.R. 1 was bad. H.R. 4 is worse. Now may its way through the House. You have I'll tell you more about in that segment of the show. You have the, the Democrat Marxist steamrolling over America um, on the Green New Deal and the infrastructure. The infrastructure bill is just basically massive, out of control, bankrupting spending, all premised on, excused by the Green New Deal, very tiny portion of it having anything to do with actually fixing roads and bridges. You have the destruction of America's military through Instead of training them to be better warriors, better fighters, better trained, better strategists militarily, you're training them as though they are in a college class, a safe space in a college class where they can all sit and talk about how often their feelings are hurt and who hurt their feelings and what words someone said one time that made them feel bad. They're encouraged to turn each other in. They're turning our military into a joke. The Biden administration is doing this as we speak. You've got to read this book by Lohmeyer. If you doubt me, read that book. Understand what our precious military is being taught and what they're being taught in the military academies. You have America overtaken suddenly with critical race theory, systemic racism, institutional racism, this country that has done tremendously throughout history, better and better and better, growing in our equality, growing in opportunity for every individual, regardless of race, color, creed, national origin, skin color, whatever. We have made America better for everyone, but all of a sudden, 
all of a sudden, Biden is in, Democrats have power, and our country is suddenly, allegedly, filled with systemic racism, institutional racism, critical race theory is the most vital thing to be taught in the military, in schools, starting in kindergarten. It is an absolute anti-American idea. The entire critical race theory, social justice warrior garbage is just simply an attack on America. Not an attack on what America really is, but attack on the lie they tell you that America is. They create a false history of America. They push a false history of America, like through the 1619 Project. They churn up outrage among the ignorant. And all of a sudden, this America that was so great for them, all of a sudden, my gosh, it's the worst country in history since time began. And then they turn people, claim that all of America's faults are the result of massive white supremacy, white privilege, the whole notion that white people are always trying to hold everyone else down and always will be trying to hold everyone else down. And all of a sudden, America, the great and good and noble and exceptional, is turned into a frothing sea of battling groups pitted against each other, and it's intentional. I, one of the main points I want you to take away from this first five, we are in a war, and part of the war of the left, beside destroying schools, destroying the military, destroying education, destroying our sovereignty, destroying our election laws, which is a basic idea of destroying America, the the, where we the people elect government, they are trying to destroy the culture and fabric of America. The idea that Americans basically can agree to disagree, they can talk about things, they can have ideas, they have elections, and then we move forward. This is, we are watching an all-out assault on America, right before our very eyes, what the left is doing. The Democrat Party, which has now been utterly, completely overtaken by Marxism, is doing is the destruction of America before our very eyes. And I'm saying this to you for a couple of reasons. One is that if you think this is kind of a tumultuous time and you want to step back and stay out of it, maybe 10 years and things settle down politically, you'll get involved again. You don't, we don't have time to do that. You don't have time to do that. You don't have time to sit home and think, wow, things are kind of ugly, and I'd sure hate to get sideways with my uh, you know, cousin over here, so I think I'll just stay out of things. It's time to be in the fight for America. You can be in the fight for America at your kitchen table, at your desk at home in front of your computer, with your phone if you tweet. Defend the idea of America. Expose what the left is doing. They are deliberately, deliberately striving to divide America, to convince us to hate each other. It is the point of what they do. Think about how these issues are. There's some issue out there, at, pick your issue, the border. Instead of having an intelligent discussion like, you know, left wing says, abandon the border, open all up, let everyone pour in, uh, you know, caravans of people, uh, many of whom have, uh, they may be drug traffickers, sex traffickers, they may be COVID positive. Let them all in. We think this is our policy. Let's discuss it. They don't do that. They do what I said. They abandon the border and let them all in and invite them all in, entice them all in. But in the public dialogue, what they say is... You know, actually, the uh, xenophobia evident by the people on the right are unwilling to help the poor and downtrodden. They lack compassion. They lack a sense of fairness. This is so unjust. I mean, how could these evil Republicans? And pretty soon, the issue is whether or not you care about people and not whether or not we should have a southern border. The left deliberately not only turns every issue into you agree with them or else you're a hater or a bigot or a xenophobe or homophobe or some other stupid word they come up with. But they do this, they do this 
for the to get to the exact Marxist goal they've always wanted, which is destruction of the culture and fabric of the American society. They use accusations, false accusations, accusations of hatred, accusations of you know, you know mean-spiritedness and all the other things and, and hatred and bigotry to attack anyone who won't agree with them. And the consequence is that the ill-informed actually think, wow, I, I, who knew? I, I didn't know it was xenophobic to want to have a border. Well, I don't want to be a xenophobe. Okay, I guess, okay. I can, I can get with the open border thing. Issue after issue, they're winning without ever defending the merits of their positions because they can't bully a certain percentage of Americans to say, I don't want to be the one to be called whatever the current name-calling uh, track is, so I'm just going to sit back and, and go along with the left. I'll say one last point about this, and again, the rest of the show, topic is after the show today. What I'm talking about here has been ongoing. It's not new in 2021. It's not new in the Biden administration. But the leftist attempt to destroy America as founded, to bring Marxism as the ruling ideology of America, has been embraced and supported by leftists in this country for centuries, for decades, for decades, maybe even over a century, you can say centuries, has been pushed and slowly worked its way through academia, all the other aspects of American society, and this is their moment. They have arrived at the place they think They've stood up, worked up such hatred against the previous administration, such hatred against anyone who ever supported the previous administration, that they think this is their moment to actually seize power. When they go to the effort to say they're going to redefine domestic terrorism to include anyone who won't agree with them about election fraud, anyone who won't agree with them about what happened on January 6th, anyone who won't agree with them about COVID and its possible treatments that are efficacious, they're telling you, we are going to shut down your speech. We are going to tolerate any opposition. No one gets to say things we don't agree with. These are things that Americans used to recognize as really problematic, as you know, we don't do that in our country. But it is the norm of how the Democrats function in this country now. You are vilified and perhaps even subject to prosecution, certainly subject to being censored and silenced if you dare to disagree with them. This has no place in America, but this is another indicia, another point you ought to be able to recognize happening in our country. This is the left taking down America and a war against America right before our very eyes. I have one last point that I'm going to wrap up this longer than five, first five. Part of the reason the left can get away with this war so successfully is that, as I mentioned, the leftists, the Marxists, the socialists, the communists have invaded America's academia, certainly colleges and universities, but even more so than that, now it's starting in kindergarten, all the way up through high school. And many conservatives were unaware what kids were being, learned, being taught about America, what kids were learning about what America is. They thought their kids would be learning the same things they were learning, the greatness of the ideas, the Declaration, the Constitution, the uniqueness of a country founded on the individual liberty of each person, on rights from God, as, as recited in the beginning of the Declaration. Parents, adults, assumed their kids were learning this, but they weren't. Our kids are being taught anti-Americanism, 
right before our very eyes, and we didn't know it for a long time. People are alert to it now, and so we're you know, pushing all sorts of pushes at school board meetings to say no critical race theory here. We want to see America painted in a positive light. We want pro-Americanism taught. We don't want our kids encouraged about socialism and communism. We're seeing the pushback now. But something occurred to me. I'm literally driving here today. This occurred to me. On January 6th, there were people who had followed politics closely, who supported President Trump's election in 2016, not because they loved every tweet, not because they loved his personality, not because they loved you know, his hairstyle or whatever. It was because they heard someone speaking up for America. That's what they heard. And they had a growing, uh, uh, you know, sick feeling in their stomach, agitated feeling, looking around at America and realizing how much of American culture had been hoodwinked, duped, lied to by leftists in academia and other places to where anti-Americanism was kind of considered intellectually, you know, superior, intellectually enlightened. That the really smart people, you know, really smart people, they hate America. This is what leftists have taught people. So backing around to January 6th, what occurred to me was, if you thought, and again, for the thousandth time, I do not encourage violence. I agree that people who broke windows or violated laws, you know, did physically violated laws in some way, had to be prosecuted. Yes, you, you can't just let people destroy property at the Capitol or anywhere else. I like the same standards applied to those in the Capitol as that, and have those same standards applied to Antifa Black Lives Matter, but that's a whole other story. There's basically no prosecution going on there. It's only the Capitol. But back to the Capitol, this is actually, I think, a little bit, almost like a healing thought. To me, it was very helpful. If you thought that the people at the Capitol on January 6th were upset because they were obsessed that they're, you know, they're, they were sycophants about President Trump and they loved him so much that they just, they couldn't believe he didn't get reelected and they were just outraged that he didn't get reelected, then you would be more angry at their conduct on January 6th. You'd be more angry at the way they invaded the Capitol. You'd be more angry about the whole, just, just the whole incident. And the left has tried to lie to the American people as they do regularly to claim the January 6th thing was an insurrection which it wasn't, but there were people very angry. And I'm getting at this point that kind of gelled to me in the car driving here today. If you think the entire election of 2016 and again in 2020 was all about the personality of Donald Trump, you know, whether you like to have a loudmouth guy, whether you want someone, you know, who seems more statesmanlike, or whether you think Trump did mean tweets and you thought the entire outrage of the Capitol was because people really, really wanted four more years of mean tweets then you would be more just outraged by it, more just how could, how could people, you know, get that aggravated about a guy who sends out mean tweets and says mean things and he's rude and he's crude and all the things they say about him. If you thought the whole battle on January 6th was about Trump personally, then you're going to be more and more upset about the conduct there that got out of line, the violent conduct and, and I mean, all of that, the things that occurred that were criminal. If you thought, as the Trump supporters thought, that it wasn't just that the election had extreme number of irregularities. In fact, I, I've said many times in the show, the elections of 2020, there, there needs to be 
massive auditing of our entire country and of our voting system and many ways in which we clean up obvious voter fraud. But if you supported Trump, you didn't think that the riots at the Capitol on January 6th were about Trump personally. You thought they were about what he was trying to do to restore America, to bring back sovereignty, to bring back free markets, to bring back jobs, to strengthen the military, to strengthen America's place in the world. This whole big battle about Marxism destroying America, which is the left is trying to do, and conservatives trying to retain and hold on to America, your whole mindset, which side you support, almost dictates what you think about what happened on January 6th. Because the Trump supporters, beside the fact that many of them were aware of election fraud and, and feel like it was the election wasn't fair and, and wasn't honest, and they want to have more investigation of that, and more investigation is happening still, but you saw it as another step along the way of the Marxist overtaking of America that has been ongoing for decades, taking shape in Washington. You saw it that the leftist seizing of control of the government in the form of the 2020 elections, in, in the face of what many were aware was a fraudulent election, those people were upset not because their guy Trump didn't get, didn't, wasn't told he won the election, their guy Trump didn't get inaugurated. It's because they saw it as a battle, another battle, another way station, another battlefront in the battle to hold on to America versus letting the Marxist left destroy America. And that's why many people were at the Capitol on January 6th, not because they love Trump and want him to be president forever, some stupid thing. It's because they saw him as someone who stood up for the identity of America. And they saw the left for what they are, which is a Marxist anti-American movement right in the middle of the Capitol. And that, my very fine friends, is today's very lengthy first five. Okay, I told you I want to talk about a couple of things. I have a bunch of other issues today, as I always do, more issues than time. We're talking about the Americans in Kabul. And I will tell you that, um, there, of course, just a devastating, devastating, uh, horrific um, t attacks you know, um, suicide attacks, attacks by uh, various sources affiliated with radical Islam, affiliated with uh, Islamic Jihad, occurred in Kabul, and we lost American soldiers. I do want to take a moment to just pay tribute to them. I sent Matt the wonderful, uh, just a, a slide, a picture of all of them who lost their lives in Kabul. And the reason I wanted to do this, I really want to um, take a minute, because the left is forever putting up the picture of, you know, one person who engaged with the police, and in many cases engaged in violent action toward the police, um, and then lost their lives. And so we have their pictures uh, permanently um, everywhere in the media over and 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 over. And I just wanted to take a moment to honor these people, to, to point out they actually had, you know, families and loved ones and, and a life ahead of them. Um, I, I have a in fact, I link this, I think, on our website. I don't think I, want, I can't really take the time today to go through it. But I want you to read, if you go to our website, americacanbetalk.org, <clears throat> there's a link to this article that tells just a little bit, a little paragraph about each of them. I just want to honor them because they were, you know, these are people who, uh, unlike most Americans, don't even think of, of um, signing up for the military. Most of them do not serve. Most of us do not serve. These people chose to serve. The ages of these people 
20, 23, 31, 23, 22, 20, 20, 20, 23, 25, 22, 20, 22. They were babies. Babies. They had their whole life ahead of them. So these are people who lost their lives in Kabul. Um, and I urge you to read the article about them because there's a lot you can uh, read about their lives, how, how noble they were, how many of them had wanted to be uh, in the military since childhood. So that was, I want to show that. And then I want to just show you, this is going to tie back into, it does tie into my point for my first five, which is, if you didn't grasp it, we are in the middle of a war. It's a, we're in a war for America's future. America ruled by a Marxist cabal in Washington that will be subservient to the global Marxist cabal that the globalists want to have, or America the free, America the strong, America the free market, America the free speech and freedom of religion, America the, the good that has been the most positive source, the most positive blessing to this earth of any country since, since America began, since the world began, since the world began. America has been the best model for freedom for the individual, rights of the individual, a whole notion we can live with self-government. This is, this is the question we are facing in America. America the Marxist, America the free. So what's happened in Kabul, I want to mention a couple of things about it. Many, many people have been uh, pointing out that even military officers are speaking up and saying, what the heck? I mean, why in the world did we, in America, why did we first pull out most of our military and then figure out, way well, we have all these civilians here, we've got to get them out, how do we get them out? And then what about, I mean, American civilians and other American military? And then we had, of course, Afghani civilians who had been helping us. So there was one gentleman who spoke up. Uh, his name is Marine, he's Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. And it's a little bit long, but I want to play the statement he made about what happened in Kabul. It's worth you understanding how a truly a decorated combat hardened Marine officer is characterizing what happened in Kabul. Good evening. My name is Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller, United States Marine Corps. I'm the current battalion commander for Advanced Infantry Training Battalion. I've been in the Marine Infantry for 17 years. Started my tour with Victor 1-8. It's the current unit that's doing perimeter security, dealing with the mess that's going on there. I, you can see open source reporting that there was an explosion and some people were killed. I know through my inside channels that one of those people that were killed was a someone that I have a personal relationship with. Won't go into more details because the families are still being notified. Not making this video because um, it's you know potentially an emotional time making it because i have a growing discontent and contempt for my perceived ineptitude at the foreign policy level and i want to specifically ask some questions to some of my senior leaders and i'll say as a person that's not at 20 years um, i feel like i have a lot to lose if you play chess you can only see two to three moves out because there's too many variables i thought through if, if i post this video, what might happen to me, especially if the video picks up traction, if I have the courage to post it. But I think what you believe in can only be defined by what you're willing to risk. So if I'm willing to risk my current battalion commander seat, my retirement, my family's stability to say some of the things that I wanna say, I think it gives me some moral high ground to demand the same honesty, integrity, accountability from my senior leaders. And so I want to start with 
we'll just use the Marine Corps mic. We'll just stick with the Marine Corps. So in the current fallout of Afghanistan, a lot of Marines were posting on social media. And in response to that, the Commandant published a letter, which is the service chief of the Marine Corps. And I want to read from it. It was dated 18 August, so only a week ago. The Commandant, sir, you wrote, some of you may be struggling with a simple question. Was it all worth it? We want you to know that your service is meaningful, powerful, and important. You fought for the Marine to your left and the Marine to your right. You never let them down. And then you go on to say that, you know, if we're, we're struggling, we should we should seek counseling, which, you know, I get it. People have killed people. Um, I've, I've killed people and I, and I seek counseling um, and that's fine. There's a time and place for that. But the reason people are so upset on social media right now is not because the Marine on the battlefield let someone down. That service member has always rose to the occasion and done extraordinary things. People are upset because their senior leaders let them down and none of them are raising their hands and accepting accountability or saying, we messed this up. If an 05 battalion commander has uh, the simplest live fire incident EO complaint, boom, fired. But we have a secretary of defense that testified to Congress in May that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have chairmen of Joint Chief, who the commandant is a member of that, who's supposed to advise on military policy. We have a Marine combatant commander. All of these people are supposed to advise. And I'm not saying we've got to be in, the, in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? Did anyone do that? And when you didn't think to do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up? I've got battalion commander friends right now that are posting similar things and they're saying, you know, wondering if it, all the lives were lost and, and if it was in vain, all those, all those people that we've lost over the last you know, 20 years. And he goes on to say that we're all part of a chain. While every link may not be tested, the strength of the chain is only as strong as each link and you gotta be you know, good link, something like that. And what I'll say is, and from my position, potentially all those people did die in vain if we don't have senior leaders that own up and, and raise their hand and say, we did not do this well in the end. Without that, we just keep repeating the same mistakes, this amalgamation of the economic slash corporate slash political slash higher military ranks are not holding up their end of the bargain. I wanna say this very strongly. I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. Okay, as you might imagine, he was relieved of his command shortly after posting that uh, for the uh, expression about why he was relieved of his command, loss of trust and confidence in his ability to command. So, and then he's resigned. So this guy, 17 years in, if he only stayed through 20, he would have gotten his full retirement. He's forfeiting retirements, entitlements, and to say what he said, and the reason I want to say that, why I wanted to play that in its entirety is, this is not a hothead. And this is not a guy who's saying, you know, uh, I, I'm a rabid Trump supporter and I hate Biden. This is a guy who's saying, what the heck is going on in my senior commanders? What is, what is going on at the, at the top levels of the military that we would actually vacate the way we did, leave 
leave the, uh, I, I mean, leave people without a possible defense. And, and he's, so he loses everything for it. There are other people who've been doing the same thing. But tying this back to my theme for the day, you know, I, I talked in the very long first five about the idea of we're in a war. What this guy is saying is, my word's not his. Nobody trying to defend America and America's interests would have done this. That's what he's saying. There's no, there's no logic to pulling out the way we did. If you had in mind as your first priority to protect America's interests, including the American military. This is what he's saying. And he's saying, someone tell me why. And there are numerous comments, I'll tell you, out of the, um, I mean, I could just go on and on. Leaders, very high level leaders in our military talking about, um, uh, Millie had said just two months ago, Bobram wasn't tactically or operationally necessary or for the military's exit for Afghanistan. Um, and anyway, I could go on and on. I want to get to the point. I don't want to stick to my point about this in the show today. The situation in Afghanistan is obviously brutal. Our hearts, you know, prayers go out to the family who lost those loved ones, those precious faces you saw. But it really is okay if a senior military person like that, who's now lost his retirement, he's a married guy with three boys, will do that. We have to be willing to question our government. Tell us why. Why in the world did we evacuate this way in danger? And there's still people over there. We don't know how to get them out. This is not, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, a strategist to say, you know, you better think first how you get your own people out before you abandon, um, before you pull most people out and abandon the, the uh, Bagram Air Force Base. So I want to tell you a couple of things that I think, that, and I'm getting to my point about Biden. The Biden team actually gave to the Taliban a list of names of Americans and allies they wish to evacu evacuate. Okay, the Taliban, this, uh, <laughs> the Taliban is one of the most evil forces on the planet. It is an evil, jihadist, Islamic, radical, crazy organization that is now imposing Sharia law all over the country, known for, worldwide, known for killing men, killing people who won't support them, kidnapping young girls, selling them as sex slaves, using them as sex slaves, kidnapping women, raping women. I mean, it is the most vile base um, or, or organization. And they've taken control of Afghanistan because we decided to bail out. And you have President Biden or whoever's advising him telling the Taliban, hey, uh, you know how you're always killing all of our people all the time? Here's a list of our people we want out. Names of Americans, along with names of Afghan allies to evacuate. Or as one pundit put it, we just gave the Taliban their next hit list. The Taliban is reported to be going out throughout the country, you know, knocking down doors, shooting men, kidnapping young girls to become sexualized, very young girls, uh, raping the women. I mean, this is a, and so, but I'm, I'm getting around to a point about Biden I want to make. Part of the problem with a leftist, many of them, a big problem with leftists are they have no sense of a right and wrong or evil and good. They can't say Taliban evil. They can't get to that conclusion. Taliban evil, bad people, Islamic jihadists. So they go ahead and give them a list of American 
soldiers, American people, we'd like to get out, American citizens, because we're treating them as though they are the good guys who might, yeah, yeah, you know, you got to listen, you know, just, just give it to us, we'll let them out. And there was a story that was coming out through Glenn Beck's involvement over there where a lengthy line, 40,000 people in line, trying to get to the airfield to hopefully get the heck out of there, get to, get out of the, uh, the, uh, uh, get to the airport in Kabul and get out of there. And they were redirected by the Taliban all to one big you know, apartment area, apartment complex or hotel, whichever it was. Point is, there's obvious concern that we're setting ourselves up for another possible hostage crisis, setting them up for a possible, got them all in one place, you know, good place for Taliban to attack, you know, drop bombs on. I mean, we can't treat people like the Taliban as though they are rational, as though they might be okay. They're just, you know, different people, you know, they have a different faith than we do, but they're great people. This, at the core of what the Taliban does, it is all about crushing anyone, crushing all opposition to Islam, crushing anyone who opposes Sharia, and we hand them a list of names. I, I mean, it's unspeakable incompetence. Many people are talking about Joe Biden ought to be um, impeached. Uh, impeached is the least of it. There's actually a lot of talk about whether what he's done is treasonous. Um, I tell you one other story that came out. This is, this is part of what happens. You get so concerned when you have no faith in the administration, no faith that they have the goodwill of the American people in mind, then everything they do makes you very nervous. But there was a report that came out of Politico. Now Politico, left wing, but still has sources uh, inside the Pentagon, um, and they, Politico, got from inside source at the Pentagon that our senior officials, America's senior officials, knew, and I'll tell you what the exact statement was, um, this is a report speaking at a news conference, a secure video conference before the attack on the Kabul airport. Before the airport was attacked, there was a, a secure video conference on the third floor of the Pentagon, 8 a.m. Wednesday, day before the airport's attacked. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin instructing more than a dozen of the department's top leaders around the world to make preparations for an imminent mass casualty event, according to classified detailed notes. During the meeting, General Mark Milley, chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, warned of significant intelligence indicating that the Islamic State's Afghanistan affiliate, so ISIS has an Afghanistan affiliate called ISIS-K, was planning a complex attack. So Americans knew the day before some big attack was planned. Now, I'm not saying that just because we knew this attack was planned that they ought to be able to somehow magically have stopped it, but I am saying when you have the military at the top levels compromised, compromised because their focus in the military is social justice, critical race theory, uh, you know, make sure no one's feelings are hurt, turning each other in for uh, slights and language that may be offensive. When that's their mentality, you worry, did they do everything they could have to stop this? Did they, did they worry about, for example, stopping this because maybe they might, you know, hit the wrong person. I mean, I want a military. We're either in a country and we stick with a fight or get the heck out, but I don't want a military in there becoming aware of this significant threat of an attack and pretty much doing nothing. 
pretty much doing nothing, letting it happen. Because, and I don't know. I feel concerned that they were compromised by their own agenda, which cannot ever call evil, evil, can't call evil, evil, can't call good, good, can't, can't function under the mindset of people that you should have if you're in the military, which is your job is to protect the American military and American citizens and the Afghan allies who helped us. It's just a very troubling situation. Uh, I'm sure you all heard, so I'll just say about briefly, Glenn Beck led, along with the Nazarene Fund, led an enormous evacuation effort after the military pretty much gave up and, and, and isn't, wasn't evacuating people anymore. Glenn Beck went over to the Middle East and with private contractors, former military people has rescued people out of Afghanistan. This is the Nazarene Fund. They raised something like $22 million to rescue Americans, other Christians out of the country. And they have rescued a total of 5,000 refugees in just the last few days. They did a, a really quick online fundraiser, raised uh, $30 million, $30 million. Americans saying, yeah, somebody get in there and rescue these Americans, missionaries, Afghan Christians who, who are trying to support the American military. You had to have a private citizen do it because the American military didn't. This is a, just a disgraceful day in the Biden administration. Okay, I'm do two last quick topics. I'm going to run out of time here today, but one I want to hit. Um, I talked in the first five about this idea that I, we're, we are in the middle of a war in America. Right now, no bombs, no bullets, no guns. But political power being used, legal power, government power being used by the left to push its Marxist agenda into the country. Again, read Mark Levin's book, meet, er, read Irresistible Revolution, Matthew Lomar's book. Understand, Marxism is not an unfriendly word in left-wing America. It's okay. It's kind of the norm. In fact, it's kind of impressive, intellectually advanced, if you are so enlightened that you're now a Marxist. There are people actively pushing Marxism, and there are people pushing the Marxist agenda and ideology without necessarily realizing it. But we are watching the left steamroll over America bring their Marxist agenda to us by force, as well as by duplicity, by, you know, by pushing critical race theory, as well as all about you know, racial equality, when it's really about destroying the American culture and fabric and very history of our country. But what I want to get onto now is this uh, another way the left is pushing this Marxist takeover of America while some of us are asleep has to do with voting. We were all happy just a month ago or so when H.R. 1 finally failed. That was the first bill, the alleged for the People Act, the Democrats brought in Congress. Basically, it was legitimizing, mandating every conceivable possible basis for election fraud. Not only legitimizing election fraud tactics, it was mandating election fraud tactics. That was H.R. 1, and when that got voted down, there were plenty of people in Washington, people calling me saying, hey, don't, don't get all happy yet because H.R. 4 is coming. H.R. 4 has not passed the House. And I want to just tell you, again, understanding how I'm tying this to my point to you today, that we're in the middle of a war. If you want America as founded to continue, what you would do is try to get laws in place that protect the election process from fraud, while making it, as this saying has become, easy to vote and hard to cheat. 
That's what you would do if you wanted to have a pure election process with citizens only voting and only voting once in every election. That's what you would do. What the Democrats have been determined to do since the moment they gained power, in fact, before they even took over in Washington, they had the For the People Act, H.R. 1, you know, undergoing, the plans undergoing, which in every conceivable way was designed to permit and, in fact, mandate election fraud tactics be used in every state. Well, H.R. 4 is now here. It's already passed the House. And it is a, I mean, it is a dream if you are a leftist. And again, it's not about getting to fair elections. It's about changing the election laws so Democrats have permanent power. It is the only basis, the only purpose of this bill is to change election law so that Democrats have the permanent voting majority in this country. Among the many, uh, I mean, just in unconscionable things, they make, you know, unconscionable things they have in there. They are trying to have this, um, much of the power over election laws be lodged in the voting section, the voting section of the U.S. Department of Justice, which if you pay any attention at all, you recognize is filled by leftists. We're always trying to find ways for left-wing politicians to win and left-wing policies to be adopted. So you have much power put into this unelected and unaccountable and can't be removed, can't, you can't do anything to them, bureaucrats. So instead of holding on to election power in the hands of the people, it's going to be put in the hands of this section of the uh, Department of Justice, the voting section. It also, um, it also it codifies congressional districts. You got to follow me on this. Codifies congressional districts as protected under federal law, even if those districts don't have a majority of minority residents. You know, the whole thing, the Voting Rights Act. We were trying. They were originally Congress was saying they're trying to protect districts that had a majority of their voting age citizens be members of a minority community, be numerous minorities, uh, various minorities, communities, add up their numbers. And so if the, a, a district was majority minority, majority non-white essentially, that district was going to be part, be protected by the Voting Rights Act. So what this does now is says it makes con congressional districts that are majority white also added into being allegedly protected. The point being, this is a brazen power grab by the Democrats. I, said, I just said it the opposite way it was, but let me just finish the point. I'll get back to it. The point of this bill is to put the power in Washington to control congressional districts. So the party in power is going to oversee the formation of these congressional districts. And why this is so important is, you know, in every state, you have a certain number of congressional districts, you know, a certain number of people they get to elect to Congress. And as states grow in population, then you have more people representing the states that are more populist in Congress, and the states are losing population, lose members of Congress. And so, um, <clears throat> okay, so I'm trying to get around to this, to get around to explain what they're doing. They're trying to make it so that the Democrat Party in Washington and their unelected bureaucrats will control all of this. And so you no longer have congressional districts drawn 
by the people by people who are elected. They're trying to make, and I'll tell you one thing that just if you need, so this is a big part of it. In addition to, in this bill, um, they have, you know, they, they um, talk about prohibiting enforcement of voter ID laws. So you can't have voter ID laws. I mean, this is in the face of, by the way, there's polling that's showing a majority of Americans completely supports the idea of voter ID, even Democrats completely supports, of course you have to have voter ID or else everyone could cheat. And a majority of Americans reject the idea that voter ID is racist. But this is what I get to, I'm telling you about trying to recognize this power grab mentality of the left. The Democrats don't care. They're not, they're, they aren't about trying to make elections fair. They don't really think voter ID laws are racist. They don't think that. They, do, they are fully aware that people of every race, skin color, ethnicity, national origin is capable of getting a voter ID. They understand that. But they attack voter ID laws because they are among the most effective laws to prevent cheating, to prevent election fraud. They argue that voter ID laws are racist because they recognize that if in America we actually had voter ID required in every state and an actual ID with your picture on it, and say, yes, I am this person tied to this address, that's me, that they could not engage in and perpetuate the amount of cheating they currently benefit from. Democrats oppose voter ID because it actually works to prevent fraud. So anyway, they actually have uh, all sorts of things in the bill that you just, uh, <laughs> they make the U.S. Attorney General a master election czar of the country. Um, anyway, they have just all sorts of provisions. It gets too far into the weeds in the election law to go through it. But understand, this is worse than H.R. 1. It's already passed the House. So we're, we're like the slim majority, uh, the slim possibility in the Senate that maybe we can hold back on the Senate. Uh, maybe the Senate can block this because you do have Joe Manchin, uh, the Democrat from West Virginia, who's been saying, I'm not up for this. In fact, Joe Manchin had, had put out a list of things saying he'd only support this bill if it included this list of provisions he, he issued. None of those are in there, not one. And so maybe Manchin will vote against it. You, you get pick off a few Democrats. You hope to God that you can get you know, the wa endless wobbly Republicans, Romney uh, and Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, you hope they can possibly stand with the Republicans on this one and maybe we can stop this thing. But my point in talking about this today was not to get into the weeds on voter law, but to make the point I was making from my first five. The Democrats are in the mode of attacking America as founded to turn it into a Marxist nation because they think it's a good thing for it to be a Marxist nation, because they think people need to be ruled and governed and controlled, because they think they can do a better job than people in choosing their own government, because they want to be in control. They use this power of voter ID laws, which may be unconstitutional, but, you know, maybe someday that'll get cleared up, but they use it because they see it as a method to solidify power. Go back to my point in the first five. Republicans never do this. We had the majority in the House, majority in the Senate, and President Trump in the first two years of Trump's presidency and accomplished zip, zero, nada, nothing. Because we don't fight. We don't recognize. We don't stand up for America. The left, they get power in the first couple of years. Of, I, mean, I don't even know what's coming next year. They get power under Biden, and they're steamrolling everything they can do to solidify their permanent power, including this H.R. 4 mandating permanent election fraud law, giving all power to unelected bureaucrats, 
we're going to end up where they control everything and we the people no longer have the power we're supposed to have. A quick last story on this. I'm going to hit Colorado some of the day later in the week. But in Colorado, uh, there is a George Soros-funded uh, Secretary of State whose, you know, whose job it was to oversee the elections. And she has just put out a tweet saying she is outlawing, outlawing for the future. I don't know if she has this power, but she's claiming she does. Uh, outlawing any future election audits in Arizona that are done by outside auditors. So she's saying basically, we, the Democrats, will have all the power and we control everything. And so we're the only ones who can audit the elections that we are, we are putting in place. No, no neutral outside audit firm. Mm-mm, we're going to do it. So I don't know if she has that power, but she's trying that. I'm getting at, and I know I'm repeating, Democrats play for keeps. The Democrats are Marxists and they play for keeps. They're not kidding. This is not a dry run. This is not, you know, pretend. This is not just a, a small adventure to them. They see this time in America as a time to seize power and forever change our country. So every single person who sees this needs to be on alert in high gear all the time. One last quick story, take me two seconds to tell you, and then we'll go to why it matters to you. But there, so there's this thing that uh, news that came out last few days. Harvard, um, ha, Harvard, by the way, which was founded by Christians, announced their new head chaplain. They, they released the name of the new head chaplain. Big announcement, blah, blah. Greg Epstein is his name, and he's an avowed atheist. Like he, he not just agnostic, like I don't know if I believe in God or not. Sometimes I do. Atheist meaning I deny the existence of God. That's what atheism means. I deny the existence of God. And therefore, all religion's a joke to you. You have to realize that. If you deny the existence of God or any higher power, you're saying all religion is just kind of, you know, kind of like Greek myths, kind of silly, fantasy, you know, kind of made up stuff. And so you, you're mocking the very premise of religion. Religions exist because people believe in some higher power. The Christian faith, the Judeo-Christian America, the, the, the religious thought and ideology, the religious teaching of the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, is about and rooted in the existence, the reality of God and the relevance of God. The God is a creator, the lawmaker, God is life, God is a source of life, God is the source of truth. I mean, real religion means something to a lot of people. And, and in America, it's great you can be an atheist, you can be an agnostic, you can change religion every day if you want. But what this signifies about Harvard is they're fine choosing as their head chaplain, in charge of all other chaplaincy programs on the campus, a guy who at his core is at least, at least he's honest about it. He's saying, I don't believe in God. What a stupid idea that is. I mean, he may be more polite and not call it stupid. But when you're an atheist, you are saying, I reject the idea that God exists. And you have a right as an atheist to be a professor, to have any job you want, to hold the beliefs you want. But when Harvard is choosing an atheist to head, to be their head chaplain, they are telling you they are buying into the whole left-wing anti-god 
Marxist agenda that says religion is to be treated as a silly little fantasy world, a, you know, just like the Greek myths and all sorts of other made-up crazy things. Okay, religion, they have, some religion has their God, and they believe these things, and this religion has their gods. It's a mockery of the truth. And, and it, I, I, am, I am Christian and happily Christian, proud to be Christian, and I respect my Jewish friends, and I respect my atheist friends. I have friends of every faith you can imagine and family members of every faith you can imagine. I love them and I respect them. And I respect their right to live their lives according to their beliefs. But what you get this signal from Harvard University, Harvard College, they prefer to be called, that they would choose as the, the head chaplain, someone who finds the idea of God a joke. They're telling you they find religion to be a joke. It is utterly despicable. At the close of every show, I tell you what, the stories we talked about today matter to you. And so I, for the very first story, getting your head on war footing. The time to get engaged is now. America is facing a planned attack. The intent is to take down the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and end America the free. The Afghan collapse, wokeism, disseminating the military, decimating the military, cancel culture, CRT, big tech censorship, no borders, COVID hype, Understand where each of these is leading and understand they are not unrelated. Understand the left's obsession and zeal knows no bounds. Compare. Trump had two years under GOP Senate and House control, and except for his executive orders, accomplished very little in the way of legislation. Democrats have a thin majority in the House and a razor thin in the majority in the Senate and are driving helter-skelter toward complete control of the American people. The left will not stop unless and until we the people stop them peacefully but firmly and without compromise of freedom. And we talked about Americans in Kabul. Suicide bomber kills U.S. soldiers. Department of Defense knew the attack was imminent and they, they did. Marine officers openly critical of Biden and they're relieved of duty. Biden administration gives lists of Americans it wants Taliban to protect. What could go wrong becomes a kill list for the Taliban. A fundamental reality and danger of leftism. There's no such thing as truth. Therefore, no ability to discern truth and lies. No ability to discern between good and evil. And no respect for the need to tell the truth to the American people. Biden should be impeached. This is manifest dereliction of duty, a massive betrayal of Americans in Afghanistan, ugly, ugly suspicions of being compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. We'll get more on that later in the week. H.R. 4, mandating permanent election fraud. Remember the war footing of the left. When they gain power, especially by cheating, the push, they push and push and push their totalitarian agenda. They steamroll due process and legislative norms, such as reading the bills before passing them, a whole other issue. H.R. 1 was an attempt to mandate and protect election fraud in all 50 states permanently. As soon as H.R. 1 was defeated, the gist of it got repackaged into H.R. 4 and is being pursued again. The Democrat Secretary of State in Colorado, Soros-funded, purports to order the banning of election audits in the face of overwhelming proof of election fraud in that state. Leftist leaders know no boundaries of honesty or propriety. The goal is absolute power and the ends justifies any means. Americans must wake up to what's happening to their country. There's, this is not normal or ordinary. It is abnormal, extraordinary, and deadly to freedom. Stand up.
And finally, Harvard's atheist head chaplain. Harvard, founded by Christians for the pursuit of truth, now has an atheist as chaplain. Might even embarrass George Orwell. Secular counseling services abound at Harvard, most universities. And so those are available for students who are not you know, who don't have a faith and want to pursue counseling. The point of a chaplain is to offer the unique perspective of scriptural-based guidance for life's challenges. An atheist, by definition, does not accord authority to God or to the Bible's teachings. Harvard's appointment of an atheist chaplain would be funny if it weren't so sad. Paraphrasing Orwell, an idea so stupid, only, only an intellectual would believe it. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America Can We Talk? Truth about America. Can